it's basically trying to give them the shortcuts of we've been through all of this and this is what we would use we wouldn't bother with that do buy this and, and also trying to not say to people okay you've come on this course and now you've got to go and buy a thousand pounds worth of equipment Oh, this is a great interview today. Jay Hunt of Violet Productions in the UK has done a lot of things. She's been the producer, she's been the talent, and now she teaches business owners how to make great videos using the tools that they may have in their pocket. So if you own a business, if you've ever wondered how you can be a bit more creative with the tools that you already have on hand, this is the interview for you. And also, if you've been in the industry for a while and you want to hear what it's like going from being that producer to the talent to now the educator, this is also a great interview for you. So I hope you're ready for this one. Stay tuned. Jay drops a whole lot of knowledge. Let's get into it. I've done some research into you and you've been a talent booker, on-screen talent, author, producer, teacher, and now you're an owner of Violet Productions. Take us back to the beginning. You know, who are you? Where are you? And how did you get to where you are today? Oh, okay. Just a, just a big question. Yeah. No, I don't think it was an obvious thing, really. I think, you know how you, you always have some kids who are so convinced that they know what they want to do. And I always think they're the lucky ones, you know, the ones who yeah. immediately know I want to be a doctor or I want to work in a zoo or whatever. And I think for most of us, it's a process of elimination, if you like, of, yeah. you know, I left school, I didn't go to university and I wanted to get up to London. It seemed exciting. So I arrived in London and I ended up doing sort of jobs all over the place, working in an ad agency, in an estate agency, all sorts of places thinking, well, that was nice, but I don't want to work there forever. And then finally, I ended up in a theatrical agency, actually, mm. where I worked for quite a few years, which was really great fun. There were lots of actors and comedy performers at the time. I remember Harry Enfield, who was a big comedy performer, used to come and sit in at the office because he couldn't afford to pay his heating bill. <laughs> so he used to come and work um, in the office, Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, wow. Emma Thompson. Okay. They were always upstairs doing all their comedy stuff. Fascinating Aida, who are a big touring group of girls who did a sort of, you know, great cabaret routine. They were always yeah. in. So it was a fun place to work. You had performers in and out the whole time. And I thought for a long time I probably would go down that theatrical agent's route. And then I did a summer job working at the Edinburgh Festival and I did some PR, in fact, for somebody who's become a great friend, who's Wendy Harmer, who had her one-woman show at the Edinburgh Festival. Mm -hmm. So she came over to do that, and I did the press and publicity on that. And then I sort of ended up sort of almost falling, if you like, into, because of my background with dealing with talent, I then ended up in television as a celebrity booker. So I would have to just book people for all the interviews. At the time, it was mainly people coming over promoting films, you know, those junket type things where okay. those poor poor stars sit in a room and everybody asks the same question until 10 o'clock at night and then they're like, oh my God, please don't ask me that same thing. <laughs> but yeah, doing those things. And then I worked on the Daily Mail for a while on the showbiz desk. That was really interesting. Hmm. So, you know, just providing leads for stories, coming up with ideas. And then the Daily Mail set up um, their own TV company, New Era Television. So I sort of moved over to that. 
and then ended up at the BBC doing comic relief um, and then ending up in sort of factual entertainment, really. So it was a quite a varied career, which um, ended up with me actually being asked to present a couple of yeah. shows. I used to, because I was always freelance, so in between contracts, I worked as a stylist for some of the um, presenters. I'd just go and get all their clothes and stuff for you yeah. know various series and things, and that was a job I quite like doing and they were looking for a, a stylist on a show for BBC Two and they just couldn't find anybody and in the end they just said to me look can you come and do this and I was like well no I'm not a presenter I'm a producer and they said oh just come and do it for one series we're really stuck on finding somebody <laughs> so I did and it was kind of weird because my I was so used to being the one standing there in control of the day you know and then suddenly you're on the other end of it and yeah. I wasn't a terribly good presenter in that I found it quite frustrating I liked being in charge and behind the camera I found with the presenting and it did give me a different respect for presenters that, that the hanging around do you know what I mean of amusing yourself and then suddenly right we need you now walk across this shop pick up two cups of coffee walk back right now go and sit in a dark room for two hours until we need you for something else. <laughs> and you sort of felt like a human tripod, just suddenly appearing, go away, come back again. <laughs> and um, so I did a few series, actually, for BBC Two, which was a dating programme, which shows how long ago it was, because it was before internet dating. And we did one I did with a psychologist uh, called Spender Hollitz, where we went and visited people who'd spent too much money mm -hmm. and tried to help them get back on track and after that I sort of said oh okay I'll come back to my normal job now and they were like oh no 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 now you're seen as talent and <laughs> I was like well I'm not you know I'm, I want to come back and have my serious producer job back and it was weird because I certainly by the way hadn't been paid as a presenter uh. <laughs> or hadn't I been paid a sort of you know jobbing rate as an, they call it an expert rate which was considerably less than mainstream presenters yeah. so I did a couple of jobs and then it was about 2007, 2008, and I could see everything starting to go to the web and okay. that all becoming a big deal. So I decided to jump ship then and set up my own video production company. And to be honest, I think it was probably a bit too soon. Okay. Because I can remember at that time when people would say, well, you know, what do you do? And you'd say, well, I make videos for websites. And they'd go, sorry, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you explain that? Really? And yeah. So, yeah. And, and I, you know, that was really at a time when you were having to explain that. And it was a whole new concept. And then people did get on board. And I think for a long time, our sort of bread and butter work at that time was your traditional three-minute film, you know, that people would put on their website. And that was our bread and butter job. And it stayed like that for quite some time before it then developed out, you know, and then it became a huge variety of things and now it's gone to the crackers. But in those beginning days, it was definitely, everybody was doing the same thing. I think everybody had panicked and thought, I've got to have a website, I've got to have a website. <laughs> yes. And then people were like, oh my God, I've got to have a video, I've got to have a video. And there was a lot of people just needing something on it. There wasn't a huge amount of thought as to what they could have, what they couldn't have. Yeah. It was almost like, we just need this to go up there now. And so it, looking back, I think that that stayed for quite a while, actually, until it evolved into all sorts of, you know, different lengths of formats and then all sorts of usages, really. Yeah. 
So uh, I, I think like so so many so many questions come to mind through that whole story. Thank you for for running that down. But so the reason I ask that and and because I feel like all of that right is now going to inform like so you've got your own production company and so clients come to you yeah. and you mentioned that you went from being producer to talent and I feel yeah. like that's a big area that people struggle with is when they when they sort of lose that control and become the one that is being controlled, I guess, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. getting yeah. comfortable you do, doing you that. realize how little power. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so I, I noticed that you do executive coaching for, for videos and, yeah. and so I, I, I'm guessing that your experience having gone from basically it's to me, it's, it's a similar role. Like, so executive producer, to you're putting that executive in front of the camera now and you're the one that's telling them what yeah. to do and typically they're probably yeah. spending their entire day directing other people and so yeah I, i'm curious how you find working with executives that are used to being in control and then you come in how does that coaching <laughs> go i i, I mean you must yeah, run into no, some it, it is interesting it is interesting because you are dealing i mean i i feel sorry for them in a way because i think <laughs> these days it is expected that everybody is good on camera yeah so you know if you are an industry expert or you're an opinion leader then it is expected that when you send in a video or you know send a video or put something up at a conference or whatever that you are going to be very slick in your performance and i think that has been a problem for a lot of people in that they almost assume that younger people grow up with cameras they're videoing themselves they're very unselfconscious about it yeah but you know most executives are sort of 40 plus when you get to be in the big roles and they haven't necessarily grown up doing all of that and i think it helps when you explain to them that it is a, that it is a learned skill and so when you say to people look i promise you if i work with you and you follow these following <laughs> suggestions and exercises <laughs> then, you know, there is a way through this. I think sometimes it helps when you give people a map of how to get from A to B and, and enough time to do it. I mean, part of the problem is you never get enough time with these people. So yeah. it's like, yeah, we'd really love you to come and do our coaching services, but could you do it in half an hour before, <laughs> you know, they're going to do X, Y, and Z? So it's, it's little things like getting them just to be a bit more confident. We always shoot the interviews on two cameras so that we can cut between the two, which really just does help massively uh, yeah. pace up. You know, because we had one guy once who honestly, he honestly couldn't say more than two sentences. So he was so obsessed with his notes. So he'd say, you know, right, the tree is green. Oh, hold on, I just got to look at my notes. Uh, right, so the leaves are looking really great. Oh, hold on, that sentence, I just got to look at my notes. <laughs> and so this is, and I just thought, oh my God, what on earth are we going to do with this? <laughs> and by the time we put in some cutaways, and we cut between the two cameras and pasted it up, it was okay. So we sent it off to him, and he actually rang and said, I just want to say, you know, I really like my video, and I was really worried on the day that I really wasn't very good at this. And then I've seen my video, and I thought, hey, I'm really quite good at videos. Maybe I'll do some more of this. <laughs> I didn't know whether to take this as a great compliment or what. But you have to be really careful. What I've noticed is, is that people who are used to being in control you have to be very careful with the wording. So we do quite a lot of work with doctors, for example, mm -hmm. and they are just not used to people saying, that's not right, or could you do that again? Yeah. And, and so you have to be really careful in the way 
that you are encouraging them. And quite often, if something isn't right, I have been known with me and the cameraman, we have sort of have a code, and I feel I'm really sorry, you know, that we just needed to stop there for noise. And, oh, I couldn't hear anything. No, uh-huh. like, yeah, but Mark, you know, really had that. Could we just do that one bit again? And so we'll almost blame a camera fault yeah. or, you know, operator fault to get them to do it again rather than say, actually, you're not doing that quite right because they are just not used to being in the space where people are saying, that that's not good enough or that's not right so you really have to be careful with wording and encouraging people and you can i can generally tell when i first meet people who's going to be quite good at it yeah and who isn't but you know i i'm just honest with them and say look you know you are not a trained presenter so i would not advise you doing you know your whole 20 minute chat on autocue because you need to be really good to yeah. be able to do that. So if we do it interview style and then we can put lots of nice footage in, we can put some text in, we can have some shots of you walking around, all all of those things that can take the focus away from them maybe not being quite the strongest speakers yeah. still gives them that sort of package so that they've got that sort of, oh, here I am, my authentic self, two-minute film of who I am and you can almost get away with it like that yeah so that tends to be how we deal with sort of that level of coaching of people oh that's really smart anyway (laughs) I I had I I had some some questions about that and uh, you've answered a lot of them I I feel like that would be a tough group of people to work with yeah it is it's not the most relaxing do you know what I mean when you look at your diary (laughs) and you think oh my god I've got this top CEO today you do have to slightly you know, think, okay, deep breath, let's go. Because, you know, they are, some of them are quite intimidating. But you just have to remember that, you know, you have a skill that they don't have and they want to learn. Yeah. And most of the time, if you can make it fun and make it accessible, and it's just small things, you know, like a lot of them are, especially if they're men, like, you know, I don't want to wear makeup, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. I just, look, I'm not asking you to wear makeup, but I am asking you, to put some non-shining mattifying lotion, which is just translucent, on you. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't want you to look shiny or sweaty because that's not going to be something you're happy with. And then you've got to, if they haven't got any hair, be, you mm. know, very <laughs> tactful about how you suggest <laughs> they put it all over the top of a bald head because, you know, that's the sort of thing that I get a lot of people send stuff and go, oh, you know, we got a young videographer or we had this young guy who's really good with his smartphone in our office shoot this. Yeah. But, the chairman doesn't like it or the executive doesn't like it and it's it's just it's the experience of all those sort of years of of sort of people watching i suppose in a way Mm -hmm. that you kind of know how far you can push somebody or something that might matter and i think with the younger videographers it's not that they are doing a bad job but i think it's very different now you know they've got to take a camera and and partly it's when when we do the smartphone video training Mm -hmm. there are some people who say god almighty i never realized there was all these things to remember yeah you know i don't want to do this can you come and do it and i didn't set it up thinking i'm going to get jobs through the back door yeah but when you explain to people this is why we do all of these things then they can see why and i think some young people it's almost that they're being asked to do too many things you know in the old days you'd have a cameraman and a sound guy and i mean i always think in america it's still much more unionized when i've ever i've been shooting out there you have to have a sound guy and a cameraman and people want to stop for lunch and they only do certain amount of hours Mm -hmm. whereas here 
you've got plenty of younger kids who go, you know, I'll, I'll come and shoot that and edit it up for 250 quid and do, you know, edit yeah. it all on my laptop and I've got a camera and I've got a little mic I use. And I think some people think, oh, that sounds great. And then they can't work out why the finished product just isn't quite as polished yeah. as some of the things that we do. And I, I think there's a big slight disconnect in a way between people's expectations with video it's almost like they've seen something that somebody else has done and they just assume that anybody filming is going to have stuff that looks really nice without realizing that no matter how good somebody is on the smartphone it's never going to look like it is if it's shot on a really great fs7 or (laughs) camera or something like that you know and i think that sometimes you know, everybody's obsessed about the costs coming down, the costs coming down. Why would we bother paying, you know, top dollar now when yeah. all these kids are doing stuff for cheaper? And and sometimes when I say, look, here's option A or here's option B, you tell me which one you like. They couldn't tell you why they prefer a certain one, but they'll all go for the glossier looking one. Yeah. Well, I think that, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be sort of comparison, right? And I think that's yeah. um, what... I hear this a lot, see it a lot as well. And it's always, it's often the same story. And you mentioned it. It's like, you know, the, the, the young guy in the office that has the latest iPhone that takes really good pictures. Like, you know, we bought him a little, what they'll call a boom mic, whatever sort of plugs into an iPhone, you know, whatever those are. And well, you would know with the, with your course, but, (laughs) and and sort of expecting like, that's enough. And, and where, where I find a lot of people fall down actually is like, so there's the equipment side of things. And I think, you know, your your courses are a testament that you can make good videos with the camera in your pocket. But if you don't have the, the background to be able to tell the story or, or the foresight to have two cameras even, right? Like, it's the sound. Yeah. You know, one of the things we say on the smartphone calls to people is look, you've got a really sophisticated machine here with your smartphone and nobody's disputing the fact that it can take extremely nice pictures. However, if you are relying on that inbuilt microphone, you will get crap sound. And I always say to people, when you go to, say, Amazon Prime, you know, and they always give you that option, don't they, of would you be happy to watch this in a lower quality if you Mm -hmm. want to save space or whatever and you you most people go yeah i'm fine i'll watch a lower quality because i'm not really going to notice the difference it's on my phone and yeah i just want to see that but if you were offered would you be prepared to watch this program and have worse sound then people are going to say no and so i've I've said it endlessly to people you know nobody these days is prepared to watch a video with bad sound you'll lose them Mm. straight away and it's the first giveaway, isn't it, really? You can yeah. turn something on, it might look quite nice, and then somebody starts speaking, and you're like, oh, God, here we go. And and so I think that gives people away as well, in that people just don't, you know, sort of think about that. But But then the other thing we found is that a lot of bigger companies have now taken everything in-house. Mm-hmm. So clients that we had that we no longer have are clients who say, do you know what? We're now going to do absolutely everything in-house. We used to do a lot of work for a big law firm in London. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 we're just going to buy all the equipment and we're going to, you know, have a couple of people and we're just going to do everything ourselves. So yeah. I thought, fine, you know, I, I can't argue with that. I can't compete with that. That's the way the market is going. And then you see 
they sort of tried to create this sort of lawyer's news channel mm-hmm. where there was so much text on the screen you couldn't see them. There were lawyers <laughs> at the end of the day with no jackets on, sweaty armpits, talking about cases, <laughs> case <laughs> one or lost or whatever. And the whole thing was just like, oh, my God. And you go in there and it's like all this latest equipment they built this whole studio where people could do all their presentations and everything else. But then at the minute they stood up and you filmed it, the background was strobing. Mm. So that was a problem for them. Everything they'd done, they sort of had money, but they hadn't really thought about, let's have somebody who's had a producer background yeah. or an editorial background to come in here and, and plan and map all this out. Because I think there is really... Not, you know, I think this is a job we're in doing video where everybody thinks they can do your job. (laughs) So everybody thinks, do you know what I mean? That there's no value on your expertise. It's like, oh, fine, yeah, so-and-so can do that. And and I think, as you were saying, with the editorial planning and actually being able to tell a story and why you're telling that story, I think a lot of these bigger companies underestimate that as a skill and then worry why why their content isn't quite what they thought it would be yeah yeah and i guess uh, along those lines uh, so and, and how would you advise someone to to think about that like so there's there take that lawyer example where they brought it in-house and yeah. obviously they had a budget that they sounds like they spent a fair bit of money my my yeah. dad used to work for a company that did the exact same thing and i spent i i didn't spend they spent and you know who knows how much money to set up the studio in the yeah. house in the on the in the floor below yeah. the CEO, so he could literally just pop downstairs, blah blah blah, <laughs> yeah. and then go back upstairs and run away. But I don't know that they invested in that knowledge and the the talent. And so, yeah. how would you advise like that law firm to spend that I budget? Would it be would better do... spent on talent that or and then? I think it would be better spent on training and if you don't want to sort of employ somebody full time, I think, you know, our whole industry is based on freelancers. I was always freelance. You know, I never had a proper contract. It was always a three month or six month contract. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there are plenty of people now out there, ex-BBC or ex-news people who understand about content and how to plan out a campaign. I mean, anybody who's worked on on a series is used to, you know, having that whiteboard up with the post-it stickers <laughs> and doing your stories across the week or whatever it is you're doing. And I would, my advice would be to get in a really decent consultant, somebody with really solid journalistic or television experience mm-hmm. to almost create the channel content for you and then train up those people that you've got there on how to do interviews, how to direct interviewees, you know, all of those sort of basic things that, that they aren't necessarily going to know when they think, oh, all I have to do is to point this smartphone at the guy <laughs> and get him to chat. Yeah. You know, and it's all those sorts of things. And then maybe do that for three or six months and then you're training up and then you're sort of then leading them with a template yeah. to follow. I think if you, I mean, we once did a job uh, where we had to get footage in from all the, uh, it was a big advertising agency in London and they had offices all around Europe. Mm-hmm. And so we did the template of how to do the interview. And then that was sent to all the European offices and they had to then just do two interviews and send all that footage to mm. us. And then it was going to be edited up in London. Yeah. And I, my theory was it was much simpler to send that out as a blueprint to say, if you follow this, 
not being patronising, but yeah. just saying, you know, this is the framing. We were either camera left or camera right and, and giving them examples. Yeah. And it was really funny, actually, because it was almost like every single country followed an awful sort of stereotypical script of how they were going to be. The Germans sent everything beautifully done and it came in early with extra shots of Munich, should we want any. <laughs> the French got really stroppy and refused to do it. The Italians had a drama and the man who was doing it walked off. I mean, it was literally that. I thought, I can't believe this. It's like national stereotype half hour here. <laughs> but but that, it was, that was a theory of almost, as I said, without being patronising yeah. to people, if you follow this template then, you know, this will be this will be helpful. And I think a lot of those bigger companies, they spend too much money on the equipment and the mini studio and not enough money on, on somebody with proper editorial knowledge. Yeah, and that, that's something that um, comes up in a lot of conversations I have is, yeah. um, you know, I've, I've asked the question, and you teach the course, you know, so everyone has a smartphone and does that does that scare you as a video producer and the answer often comes back like not really because exactly what you're just saying that there's this and it, no fault of you know the, the small business owner that doesn't know but who thinks that he can just pull his phone out and shoot some of his products and whip together a really nice yeah. video yeah. but it's, it's like that that knowledge of how to put a story together how what which shots go with the story yeah and how to how to piece that together and have an outcome that actually to your point before sounds nice as well as looks nice yeah and so but i think i mean i never set out in a way to do the training do you know what i mean i mean i would say somebody asked me what i do i would say i'm a video producer even though the training has really taken not taken over but has become a much bigger part of, of what I do yeah. and I think what happened was it started off where we started to see a lot of the bigger clients as you say you know buying stuff for themselves and mm -hmm. saying well hold on the cost of video is coming down we can do all of this stuff in-house so I think the problem in the video market today is that there's there's less clients because they're all doing they want to do it themselves yep. and you've got more people setting up as video creators so you've got a larger pool of people chasing a smaller amount of work. Yeah. So what happened when um, a lot of these bigger clients, you know, decided to do stuff themselves, they came to us and said, look, is it possible that you can teach our marketing team how to shoot stuff, you know, on their smartphone? So a classic example was at events, which are notoriously expensive to cover mm -hmm. because you can guarantee that all the key speakers they want covered are all on different stages at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so when you explain, look, you know, you've got to have two cameras covering that, or if you want box pops, that's another cameraman doing this. And so those are expensive, you know, so a company's doing a big two-day event and they suddenly want everything covered and they never know what they want covered, so they want everything shot and then they'll decide, <laughs> yeah. you know, then they get a bit panicked about the price. So they were saying to us, look, we understand this. Can you come and, and, you know, train some of our digital marketing group to shoot the box tops or do this or whatever? So we were going in to some of the bigger companies and I was doing a day with these people saying, look, effectively shoot that and shoot some, here, here's how you could shoot some decent B-roll footage that we could then cut in that would be useful for us. So we mm -hmm. were 
you know, getting them to change the settings on their phone or Mark, the cameraman, would come with me if it was specific things. And so we'd sort of do that. And then it became more and more popular, sort of word of mouth. People say, oh, I hear you went and helped so-and-so out. Uh. You know, I've got four people. So I just thought last year, maybe this is becoming a bigger part of everyday life. And then I had some small business owners saying, well, don't you ever do that training, you know, for small business owners as yeah. well as marketing teams, because that would be really useful for us. So I decided last year, okay, I'm going to I'm going to formalise this into doing, you know, proper one day training courses for people. Yeah. And so I did, and I I did go on a couple of other courses to see what other people were doing, and it was that was interesting. I mean, nobody did a terrible training day, but there were quite. <laughs> I went on four. You're being very nice. <laughs> I, I remember being on a couple where I would think, okay. Now they're going to explain to people about the eyeliner. Now they're going to explain this, and now they're going to explain that. And then you think, no, they're not, because they don't actually know about that. So mm. it made me even more convinced of, you know, my problem was how can I pack almost too much information into one day yeah. without making people feel really overwhelmed by it? And so it took a while to sort of hone it all down. And then we did a few days where I did a mix. So because I thought, I'm going to have days where I'm going to have a small business owner who wants to shoot some, I don't know, some products, you know, maybe some yep. face cream that they want to shoot for themselves and do a little voiceover. And I'm also going to have somebody from a bigger company who needs to shoot an interview with his boss. So I had to find a way that the course would cover all those things. Wow. So it does rattle along and people are like, oh, you know, there's quite a lot to do. But I try and make it fun. And, you know, I was taking up to groups of eight. And then mm -hmm. what happened was, obviously, in March, we had a pretty busy diary of people. We were due to go and do a group of surgeons who wanted to shoot some procedures hmm. and put voiceover oh, wow. over it, which would have been, you know, really interesting to do that. We had a beauty PR company. We had a group of small business owners. We had, you know, quite a, a variety of people and I just had to cancel all of it and refund everybody. And then I spent the first six weeks of lockdown with everybody else going, oh, God, I'm so bored. Has anybody got a jigsaw? And mm. I was sort of working till 11 o'clock at night, scripting 46 modules, because I thought if I can put the course online, which I did, and then I thought, well, if I'm putting this course online, what I should be doing is making smartphone video for smart bloggers mm. and making that really cost effective because people who are stuck at home need to be able to get their message out. So I also did that. Those went up and it was fine. I mean, we did, you know, the edit did it for me and it's difficult because if you're doing an online course about how to create great video, it can't look crap, which <laughs> is, is yeah. another problem. Whereas I, you know, I've done a course from a very nice girl who I work with who's an expert on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And she was like, sorry that I'm sitting in my kitchen with my hair scraped back throughout the whole of this course. You know, I don't look my best and it's not the best looking course, but it is full of content that you'll find useful. And I didn't mind that yeah. because I wanted to know what she, what she was teaching. But as I say, when you're saying, look, it's really important that the visuals are right... Your visuals, good yeah. And we had to, you know, use visual examples of things, and the production value had to be quite good. So we, it took longer to do all that remote editing and getting all of that 
right, but once they were up there, it's been fine. I mean, sales are okay. What it has generated is quite a few people saying to me, I'm really interested in this, but to be honest with you, I'd rather wait until you can do the one-to-one training days again. I think yeah. people want to get out the house. Mm. And there's also, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, a sort of, they want to actually see. So I take all the equipment on the day and I'm like, well, here are the tripods, here's the lenses, here's the mics. You know, you get to, here's a gimbal. You actually get to see it all, although now it's all having to be disinfected. And <laughs> Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah. people do it again. So that's, and I think what we're looking at doing is probably starting up again in, I mean, I'm ready to go, but the venues are saying we can't cover it insurance-wise yet. Mm-hmm. And so I would book a meeting room for eight people and I'll train four. Yeah. And I think that's how it will work. But, you know, everybody's saying everything's going online and it sort of is. But I think also people would like to get out and about. Because yeah. somebody said to me, can't you do all of this on a webinar? And some people do do that. You know, that you sign up for their webinar uh, or on a Zoom for a whole day. But I just yeah. thought, how bored are they going to be of me sitting there going, holding up a lens or holding up, yeah. you know what I mean? Something, yeah, it's a bit more hands-on, but it's works. not really, yeah. It just doesn't quite work, really. Yeah. So you, you're, I think you're better off, if you want to do it online, you're better off doing the online course than, than st- seeing me sitting on Zoom, really. Yeah, the, the self-paced part is probably a lot easier for people yeah. to consume yeah I, I, I mean just speaking for myself during this whole time there have been a lot of well everyone's going online right so any any what yeah. was an in-person event has now become a virtual event and I won't admit it to anybody's face but yes I signed up for your event I did not sit through it because you know there's <laughs> because because there's 40 of them every week that I think yeah I'd I'd like to see it but yeah. it's you know it runs from like you said it's it's but an all day thing so you know like I am I I can go into a room and I'm you know I I have stuff on a powerpoint I put it up on screen or I do the edit module through a video because it's easier for people to follow that and I'm kind of got a used to where doing it so when somebody said oh well could you do a webinar, a company rang and said, could you do a webinar just for a, a sort of hour or hour and a half so that just to give us some tips on how to create subtitles or get mm-hmm. some content going and all that. And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. You know, I can do that. So then, of course, everybody thinks, well, it's so easy, all this technical stuff. Uh, and yeah. so I then ended up screaming at the computer <laughs> saying, I just bought, because uh, my computer died in the middle of doing my online course. I think it had finally had enough. And I said, I just spent... 1400 quid on a Microsoft Surface Pro. Mm-hmm. I have a Google Pixel 4, which is the latest Google phone, which was not cheap either. No. How can these two pieces of equipment not allow me to mirror on my computer screen or <sighs> Chromecast what what is on my phone? And and I just thought, am I just being really sick here, not being able to do this? And then, of course, the computer man came back and said, oh, no, no, no. And Google have now disabled that uh, because they really want you to go and buy a Google Chrome. The Chromebook, so you've yeah. Got to put it through, you know, a third piece of equipment. Yeah. So, you know, I was in that same boat as everybody else, thinking this is ridiculous. You know, this is meant to be simple, and it actually isn't. And so you're constantly learning sort of new ways of doing it. But as I said, I think doing a, an hour's webinar of giving people some tips or answering some questions. We did it. We licensed the content for a company 
in the UK, um, AO, who are a great mm. company. They deliver white goods, and they, they're, they're really nice. And they had a whole load of people sitting at home. And so they said, could we license and pay for some of your content? So we don't need all the modules, but could you sort of brand it as AO content and take maybe sort of eight or nine of the modules and create a course just for our people yeah. sort of to do that? And, and that worked, and then afterwards there was a Q&A, and, and that system sort of really helped. But as I say, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that people aren't completely zoomed out by now, and um. it's just, even though it's video, it, there's, there's different ways to consume learning that rather than just watching me blithering on yeah i'm not saying that you blither on but i know i i understand your point yeah yeah i think there is a lot of burnout happening i mean just speaking personally yeah, yeah there, it went from you know occasional zoom to all zoom all the time yeah pretty quickly and then thankfully but it's been have, it, have you not been amazed at how yeah. i mean how how bad it has been seeing really quite um well-known people you know, now everything is, I always notice it on the news, now everything is, now we're going over to talk to so-and-so <laughs> in their home on Zoom. Yeah. And the amount of people who just didn't get it, you know, shooting the ceiling, their lens was dirty, it was too close to them, it wasn't high enough. And you think, guys, you know, this is like basic stuff. So I spent quite a lot of time in lockdown with people saying, oh, could I just ask you for some tips? And so we did yeah. sort of, you know, 10 top tips to help yourself when just zooming and things and i think now people have become a bit more okay about you know framing themselves properly yeah. and just doing basics but it was amazing at how many people you know you're back to the basics of get a cloth and clean the lens <laughs> you know otherwise you're going to look like you're in this misty world with a halo on yeah and or the amount of it has been interesting yeah the amount of unmade beds that i've seen in backgrounds has been pretty surprising oh too. my god so, yeah yeah <laughs> and Which... did you see that girl who went to the loo uh yeah that was a <laughs> there was a girl on zoom who obviously i think must have realized uh. she was i think with about 10 people in her office and so she took the phone with her and then you could see people going no 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 she's, mm -hmm. she's gonna clock she's gonna clock and then she yeah. just sat on the loo and people were kind of screaming and it was like oh my god yeah this is sort of hilarious but oh. sort of not so many horror but, stories um, yeah it's yeah, it, it, yeah. I, everyone that I've been working with has been very, very careful about that, and I think has been very thankful yeah. for the the blur feature on Zoom, yeah. and then Microsoft Teams <laughs> has it too. That all you see is a weird shaped head, but it's better to see a yeah. weird shaped head than me yeah. having to clean up my living room. So, oh, yeah. I, but I mean, we're we're now back to you know we're out doing you know i still run violet productions you know for people who want to outsource all their video mm -hmm. we still do that we've been working at a school and we're working with a guy next week in central london and, and you know we've got ways of we've got all the mics now are on booms and we're not actually mm. micing anybody up and yeah. we've got different lenses and we're shooting you know from further away and, and all the equipment is safe and i i don't know i think with video it's such a changing marketplace. I mean, I'm just a classic example of that, you know, running a traditional company, then moving into training, then doing both things. You just have to be agile and go where the market is. And I do feel really sorry for cameramen who've invested a lot of money mm. into really great kit yeah. and great equipment and who are now finding that they are just being undercut all the time 
by younger, cheaper people who are not, you know, they're not going to deliver what these really great guys can. Right. But, you know, what they're going to do, I don't know, because I think that's the difficult part of where it's going, is that everything has become a bit sort of it's all about cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And I don't know whether it's just going to end that phase and then there will be a bounce back to people really understanding quality again, which would be nice. Because I, I like to think that there's a marketplace for everything. Yeah. But, you know, for those traditional cameramen, I think their jobs have really shrunk. Well, so so let's dig into that a bit. Like, So how do, how do you go about or how do you think about if you're talking to a business owner that and you have that conversation where it's like, or, or my, my nephew can come in with his, yeah, his, his Sony DSLR and, yeah, you know, he, he can do this. We just need a few tips on how to sort of set the scene. Like what, what do you think brings people back to the value that better production can provide? I mean, how do you, how do you convince them of that? I think it's about being really transparent about the cost. And I think a lot of video people only have themselves to blame, but there's a, a bad reputation in our industry of smoke and mirrors and people are nervous thinking, oh God, you know, nobody can quite explain how much something's going to cost. And if I do that, are my costs going to escalate? And so I think there's a worry about that. And so mm -hmm. what I've tried to do is give very clear costing. So it says the cameraman costs this, I cost this you know, a makeup person costs So it gives them a chance to say, look, something might be really important to you or not important to you, so you choose where the money goes on okay. your budget, which then, you know, really calms them down. And I'm sort of old enough and wise enough to be pretty good at doing costings and know how much can be accomplished in a day and how quickly Richard can work in the edit. So if something really goes massively over, I have to suck that up. Yeah. But on the whole... You know, if you're really clear with people about what's included, and then you can always say the extras. Look, if you want to use some of our stock footage, or you don't want our music, but you want to go and get stock footage yourself, you know, this is how much it's going to cost, and you're welcome to do all of that. So it's doing that. And then the other thing that I think worked really well for us was saying we will provide video services, you know, across the board. So it's like, okay, you want to outsource everything, then project starts at two and a half grand if you want us to come and shoot and coach you know it costs 1900 quid mm. if you want to come on a day on your own it's 195 quid if you want to do it yourself so it's almost like if you want to put more effort in and keep the cost down and give it a go yourself and learn the smartphone video course then you can if you just think oh god you know what it's, i'd rather pay you three times over than have to go through that myself yeah then that's the package for you and i think that's worth almost spelling it out to people that in this modern world here are the most popular ways of doing it and here are the prices start points for those and then it's up to you how you want to do that that sort of worked quite well really yeah okay and i i wonder if there's something in i think it's brilliant to sort of tick all those boxes and i, I wonder if there's something in that that positioning there to say uh, I'm not quite sure how to word this, but you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to do the day long course and you're going to learn how to, you're going to teach your, your digital marketing manager, how to shoot on his phone. And here's the, here's the cost of that, right? So they're paying for the course yeah. and they're learning it, but it's also a full day for 
a marketing manager. And it's also how many, how long will it take to get to a good video that actually produces, say. Yeah, exactly. He can leave with the skills after my day. But as we all know, when you're learning a new skill, you've got to, you leave really enthusiastic (laughs) (laughs) to all this stuff. And then you sort of forget about it for the weekend. And then next week you kind of think, oh, Christ, I can't remember a bloody word of how to start that again. So it's that sort of getting it in the flow. But I mean, we try and keep it sort of simple. You know, a lot of it is for people who want to be able to shoot themselves talking about their product or service, putting in some B-roll or GVs that they've shot, putting a little bit of music on and their name and fading it in and out so it looks professional and uploading it. And for a lot of people, that is what they are hoping to do they're not really trying to do anything massively more exciting than that but they want a professional way so that as you say they sound okay so what mic do they use do they have to spend money on an expensive tripod you know do they have to master a filmic pro app it's basically trying to give them the shortcuts of we've been through all of this and this is what we would use we wouldn't bother with that do buy this and, and also trying to not say to people, okay, you come on this course and now you've got to go and buy a thousand pounds worth of equipment. You know, it, you've got to say, okay, if you just want to get going, you need a mic, you need a tripod. You know, if you don't want to buy a light and use the natural light, then let's be honest about what the limitations of that are. Yeah. And edit it up, you know, and you don't have to pay for that edit app if, you, if you're happy with it being water, watermarked. Most people are. I mean, we use this, this brilliant app called Kinemaster or Kindmaster, depending on how mm. people... Yep. Because I've, a lot of people are saying to me, you know, I just can't afford to pay the monthly fees for all the Avid or Premiere or all of those things, which are really aimed at professional people or at companies. If you're just starting out a video and you're suddenly being asked to pay £50 a month, upwards for something that you're not sure you're even going to have a clue how and, to use. and to learn it yeah that's the, more so than the, the, the more so than the cost is the i, I think yeah. the sheer intimidation of sitting down with yeah. a program like that and, and yeah, being and, told you know, and, you, and you forget that most people have never ever you open sort of kinemaster and most people are like what the hell is this this yeah. big black hole of what's a timeline do you know what i mean and people haven't exactly. ever seen that before and so i just get them to record a little three minute um, 30 second chat and i do the same thing so when i'm going through the edit with them i'm editing the same bit of my footage as they are which makes it that's what's made it 10 times easy 10 times easier because i think so many times people said oh i've been online but you know there's a guy showing me how to edit something you know surfing or he's on a dirt bike or something and I'm just trying to work out how I get myself in shot and not show the mess in my kitchen. And so, you know, when you sort of, when you're editing the same thing as them and, and it's, it's doing a sort of little professional blog with some GVs cut in, yeah. they are quite amazed at how easy that can be if you almost stick to doing it by the letter and how easy it is to upload. And I think for a lot of people, it's the relief of not having to transfer files to the computer and all of that stuff, Mm. which, to be honest, I don't see as becoming any easier. With all this technology, whenever I'm in an edit or we're taking stuff, there's always stuff that, you know, is causing questions for really professional cameramen and editors with things. So, you know, you, you don't want to put people unless they're quite techie and they enjoy all of that into it. You just want to keep, that's why I just thought, well, I want to keep everything 
on a smartphone for, because for a lot of people, especially if they're at a conference or something like that, they want to do a little chat and get it uploaded there and then. So that that's what's worked really well. So, yeah, I'm hoping that um, Kindmaster or Kinemaster continue well because if they go down... <laughs> My business model is severely affected. I better buy shares in them. <laughs> Support them as best you can. Well, yeah, we'll, exactly. We'll, we'll pitch them and we'll link them in the podcast in the in the show notes. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> I, I kind of continuing on that. I've, I've I've got this scenario sort of running through my head right now, and it's like so. Just for context, if if whoever's listening and when they're listening, like we're recording this in the middle of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic and a lot of businesses have been shut down for a few months. And I've got friends that that own restaurants and manage restaurants and and Mm. hospitality type businesses that are starting to to open up and very tentatively. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on a business let's take a restaurant that's been shut down for three months yeah, yeah. and there's, they, they want to sort of announce that they're reopening and reintroduce themselves yeah. to the community. Like where, and budgets are going to be tight, you know, yeah. where, where would you suggest that they start and what would you advise someone like that to do? Start, yeah. With little video promo, short and sweet, you know, saying that they're back. And yeah. I would suggest that what they do, I mean, food is a gift, isn't it? I mean, do you know what I mean? It, it, it always looks great. And there's plenty of places where they can go for free tips from all, you know, choose a great food blogger that you really like mm-hmm. and pick a style. And I would shoot just some really nice shots on a smartphone, maybe use the gimbal if they can afford it, yep. you know, and just so that you've got a bit of movement in those shots coming in, you know, nice shots of a variety of food. And I would just put those together in KineMaster and then you it's very easy. You can just record a little voiceover underneath. And then if you don't want to be on camera yourself, because really what you're showcasing is that your food's back, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, so, true. <laughs> you know, you can you can use you could use the free version of KineMaster if you're inside and you didn't want to spend money on an additional microphone which, you know, the ones we recommend are 15 quid, so they're hardly going to break the bank. But if, yeah. if things are really tight, then as long as you're within one metre of your phone in a really, really quiet place, you could get away with it mm-hmm. and just record that sound directly into KineMaster, put a bit of music from their free library up and have those lovely shots and just put a, you know, a, a little bit of text at the top, we're back opening on X day. You yeah. know, have you missed our... Linguini Bongole or whatever and just get people remembering what it is that they loved about you and I'd start targeting regulars again and doing that and that doesn't really need to cost any money and it shouldn't take very much time to do that yeah now that's that's good advice I think that's uh, the only other thing I was going to add is that the bar is open right that's the uh... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah the bar is open. food and drink <laughs> yeah yeah I think yeah <laughs> yeah, or just, I mean, little things like, you know, if you just got a glass on the counter and just put your phone on slow-mo and just shot a really nice shot of a cold beer, mm. you know, being poured in and send that. Remember this, guys? Well, hopefully you know, <laughs> we'll be open soon. <laughs> Remember how good this was? You know, that, and it doesn't have to be expensive. And you can have a bit of fun. It can have a bit of sense of irony. But food 
you know, I really feel sorry as you say, we've got a local restaurant near us and he's been great doing all sorts of different things and mm-hmm. um, to keep going. But the one thing that restaurants do have really going for them is that their product is so visually strong. Yeah, true. So why would you not use video if, if you've got a restaurant? I think that's, yeah, sage advice. I'm going to pass that on, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be forwarding this podcast on to a good friend of mine just to to push him on that. I'm kind of curious, like on that, so on that note too, just like what's what's the bare minimum equipment that you would suggest someone, just talking smartphone for smart people, what's the bare minimum to get a good quality video out? I mean, are, are we talking, you mentioned a gimbal, I think that's a good idea because yeah. I mean you don't have to use a gimbal. I mean, you know, most of the smartphones now will have an auto stabilization button on them, mm-hmm. so people just need to know that that's actually there yeah. to turn it on. That will help you out. I would recommend that you get a little tabletop tripod and a shoulder pod to clip your phone in, or you can buy what's called a U rig, and those ones we recommend are about sixteen pounds. I don't know what that is in Australian dollars, about twenty dollars, is it? And, you know, then you can clip your phone in there. It's completely secure. And then I would say rather than a light, I would go for a mic anytime. And a little lavalier mic, the ones that you can clip on, you know, you are then connected. But if you're sitting blogging, it yeah. doesn't really matter. You know, and unless you're really on an action pack thing, the, the sound is so much better. So I would say the ones we use are the little Boyer lavalier mics, and they are £15. So you could buy a little shoulder pod and a tripod probably for 10 quid for both. I mean, I, I don't ever recommend getting the really cheapest one because what you're paying for is that they're flimsy. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? So they're not going to really last, but you just want something that will sit there. But a lot of people buy those gorilla tripods. But again, unless you're going to be outside and winding it around a tree or a fence, why pay yeah. 30 pounds? Yeah. You know, it's not worth it. So you just need something that's going to hold it stable. I mean, somebody was really broke the other day. And and I and said, oh, God, you know, I can't even afford that. And I said, well, have you got a, a pop socket on the back of your phone, you know, <laughs> one of those sockets? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, literally, hang that, get, pull out the socket and hang it on a mug, on some books, and, and do it that way. And you just need it to be so. And they were like, oh, that's really handy. <laughs> you know, and they just, they just did that. But really, I'd say the sound and then... You know, you can use the KindMaster app and use their free version if you don't mind the watermark until you get going. Yeah. And then you can start to think, oh, okay. But the, some of the lenses, you know, can be expensive. We've said go onto Amazon and buy, you can buy little kits um, from five, six quid upwards that will, you know, little lenses. Again, they sort of macro lenses if you want to shoot food, you know, mm-hmm. a nice wide angle or a telephoto. But again, there's no point in spending money. The bigger companies now, they do great lenses, but you have to, they come in a case and you have to clip your phone into that case. But you're talking about 150 sort of pounds upwards for just one lens. And you don't want to be buying that unless yeah. you, you know, you absolutely know you're going to use it. So I tend to be a fan of getting people to play around with things before they invest in something and lend it as a case in point, really. Yeah, true, true. And so I, I do have a question about lighting, though, because that's something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with. So if you don't yeah. have a, a naturally well-lit space or if you can't be outside, what do you suggest on that front? Well, I think what's interesting, quite often when we do the course, 
people don't realise that, you know, you've got that autofocus and light setting on your phone. Yes. So if you double-click if you double click the screen and then that little bar appears, it's yep. either horizontal or vertical, that you can then slide your finger up and down. So many people are like, oh, my God, I didn't even know that was there. <laughs> and that's really helped me out. A lot of these modern cameras now, if you go into the camera settings, have something called selfie illumination, mm. where as, as a sort of extra light will come on you know, to sort of help you out a bit. Yeah. So sort of doing little things like that and then just placing the window at the side of you. I mean, what we don't really go for is all those diva lights. When, you know, I've never been a fan of those because I think they just get overused and people think they've got some magic quality. You know, oh, if I put my diva light on or I clip that onto my phone, it's going to make everything perfect and because it's generally clipped onto the phone or onto the u-rig it's right in front of people so it just whitens them out and flattens <laughs> their faces <laughs> yeah and you know that is a look that is a look but then you've got those awful rings in people's eyes yeah so we always sort of try and avoid that but as i say you know i'd rather people experiment with just their own settings a lot of people automatically go oh i've got to have filmic pro you know, and that's 15 quid, yeah. and it can be more complicated and off-putting with all their settings. And if you're just starting out, I, I said to people, you want to be really thinking, okay, this I, I'd like this to take an hour from setting up, deciding what you're going to say, sitting down, putting it on a little auto-cue app, you know, mm-hmm. getting used to doing that, recording it, putting it up in a kinemaster, just trimming it either end, uploading, getting it out there. You need to be able to get used to thinking, right, I'm going to put an hour aside to do this from start to finish. And then it becomes something that can be dealable, you know, as well as you might think, oh, should I write a blog today or should I do a little video? It becomes a dealable job rather than, oh, my God, I've got to put aside a whole weekend, you know, because video is so (laughs) time consuming. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people are, is is still intimidated by it. You Um, just think, I can't face anything else. Yeah, <laughs> people are already doing so much stuff, but I think that video, you know, is something that a lot of people get such a return on. And if you are in a, you know, people think, oh, I'm a small business, so I'm at a disadvantage. But you're not if you've got something that looks visually great on camera. Then, then it's mad not to be using that. Yeah, true. Too true. Yeah, I no, I, I think it's brilliant, and, and this is not a plug for the course, but I think it's a great great idea to teach people how to use the phones because yeah i mean so my wife actually uses her phone and she does a really good job with it which is yeah to her credit like so she's got it pretty well figured out and once once you have it down and i've just watched her learn through doing pretty much yeah but once she figured it out it's the setup happens in five minutes and yeah she's got the the lav mic and so the sound's good She's got it figured out in the house. She knows where to sit at what time of day. <laughs> so, yeah, she's probably got like the area at the exact time she knows it's going to work. Yeah, it's it's awful because I work from home too. Well, for obvious reasons now, but so if if I get hungry around lunchtime, I got to wait basically because she's in the corner <laughs> of the kitchen and the door's locked. Doing her thing. <laughs> and yeah, I can look through the window right. and I can see her. <laughs> so you and, can't go in. Yep, yep. And I get, I get this look like, don't you dare don't you dare it's video time no. yeah no exactly way. i so i know better i and i don't know how many times she's seen me just peer through you know hands on my forehead looking through the glass like oh wait <laughs> no no it's 
It'll yeah. be another another 45 minutes before I get to eat my lunch today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but oh, dear. It, it turns out well because, like I said, she's got the timing yeah. figured out. The light's good. She's She sets it all up. The plant goes in the corner. The chair goes next to the plant. The light's this, and off she goes. So, yeah. yeah, and, and off she goes. Yeah. It's a pretty simple setup. Just phone, lab mic. It's just the initial setup yeah. that I think can be daunting for people. So. Yeah. It's just trying to make that easy and realistic for people. You know, nobody's going to do something overly complicated. You've just got to make it realistic and, you know, time efficient so that people can fit it in. Yeah, very true. Well, listen, Jay, I think I've I've, I've kept you for long enough. Uh, thank you for sharing well, thank you so all much. of that. It's been really fun talking to you. Oh, absolute joy on my side. So I'm going to ask the question that gets asked on every podcast, but where would you like people to go to check out Violet Productions, to check out the courses? Where should they go? Oh, they can just go to violetproductions.com and then just press the button that says online courses and training courses. Too easy. And all the information is there. It's just made really easy. Awesome. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. And speak to you soon. I don't know about you, dear listener, but I love the energy that Jay brings. From all of that experience she's gotten, now she's an educator, and I think you can probably tell, I know I picked up on it, that she enjoys teaching this to people. It's not just about doing it herself. It's about enabling the rest of us to be good at telling stories, using the tools that we have, and communicating better as a business and person to person. Thank you, Jay, for joining me today. I hope you listeners got a lot out of that. I know I did. My notebook is absolutely full. And to you, dear listener, thank you so much for being here. If you want to learn more about this podcast, future guests, past guests, if you want to submit a question or feedback, please go to dearvideo.com and check it out there. And lastly, but not leastly, I want to say thank you to Avocado Junkie and Brasco for the music on this episode. Thanks, everybody. Go make some awesome videos. See ya.